Well, if you're hearing that music, you know what's happening. That is our Friday theme music for Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. Let's get down to it. (laughs) (laughs) I love the tone. village people. You know, all these great acts of the... (laughs) 70s and 80s that are, well, 70s. Keep it up, Vaughn. Next week it'll be Casey and the Sunshine Band oh, because hey, we know. On, you know, I, I want to see a Boney M tour, right? I mean, oh, come on. They, they weren't don't. real people anyway, so what the hell's stopping them? <laughs> don't tease me like that. Uh, all right, let's talk about what's going on out there. Uh, can you explain to me, I saw this headline about the Attorney General, David Eby, and uh, announcing that they're not going to appeal this courtroom victory for the Blueberry River First Nation. What does this mean? Well, the first thing it means is that the government has recognized that the courts in this country are extremely, extremely unsympathetic to the government practice of every time they lose a case against First Nations, appealing it. And it's been a practice for a long time. There's a, there's a guy in Toronto who sends me notes every now and then who's be keeping track of government records in court cases with First Nations and resource development, and he says... Like, there have been 200 wins for First Nations. In fact, I think it's past 200 now. So the fact that the government didn't appeal, I mean, it's easy to appeal, right? The government has limited money for going back to court if they don't like the first decision, and you can drag it out forever. This one matters because that's not what they did here. David Eby uh, studied the thing with his advisors, um, nearly a 500-page decision, um, 160 days of court time decisive win for the First Nation. And they went, no, nah, I don't think we can win this on appeal. We're going we're gonna to talk to them. So here's why it matters. Blueberry First Nation is northeast corner of the province. It's one of the Treaty 8 First Nations. They have a treaty. Lots of BC First Nations don't. Going back 120 years that guaranteed them the right to hunt, fish, trap, and pursue their traditional way of life, and their traditional territory up in the northeast corner of B.C. The First Nation went to court and argued the government had repeatedly been issuing permits to cut trees, build roads, develop oil and gas resources, drill, and had despoiled their traditional territory. We're affecting the ecosystem. They really couldn't pursue their traditional way of life, and the court agreed. And that's essentially the decision. The judge did one thing, B.C. Supreme Court judge, she put the government on notice that they couldn't issue permits anymore, and then she suspended the order for six months. She said, you got six months to go to the table with Blueberry and work it out. That's what the courts keep telling governments to do. Don't come to court and go through these long battles, very expensive, Because at the end of the day, we're going to say First Nations have a point. So save all of us a whole lot of time and money and go and talk to them. And that's essentially what David Eby said he's going to do. You know, it it sounds so revolutionary and really it shouldn't be, (laughs) you know? You know, I mean, for a long time, the courts were, you know, on the one hand, on the other hand. And I mean, there are reasons for appealing decisions, but... When you look at something like this case, where the judge went out of her way, I mean, first of all, she heard 160 days of testimony. She she gave the government, the Oil and Gas Commission, every chance, Simi, to, to persuade her that, 
no, 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 you know, we're, we're taking them into account. And, and the evidence was overwhelming. So that in itself is important. Now, the reason governments have wanted to kick the can down the road in the past, of course, is because these things have implications that go way beyond this one First Nation. Um, Blueberry's territory is in the heart of British Columbia's natural gas industry. There's an awful lot of natural gas drilling goes on up there. And um, having to go to them and essentially, essentially a court decision giving them a veto over permits and over timber cutting has implications not just for them, but there are other Treaty 8 First Nations, and it probably goes beyond the treaty issue too. First Nations that don't have treaty rights do have um, constitutional rights, and they do have traditional territories. So this one has far-reaching implications. Um, the one encouraging thing that came out of this, I guess, may have helped persuade the government, Simi, was uh, the chief of the First Nations, Marvin Yavi, had a, an event at the Vancouver courthouse a couple of weeks ago and said, don't appeal this. Come and talk to us. We're not opposed to resource development. What we want is to be partners in protecting the environment ecosystems, um, you know, the, the, the right to hunt and trap fish is grounded in a healthy environment. So we want to do all that. And I wouldn't be surprised, you know, it wouldn't be unreasonable that the First Nation wants a piece of the action as well. So they opened the door, said, come to the table and talk to us. And that's what the government's going to do. If the New Democrats can get anywhere with the best of intentions on this, it might be more of a turn-the-page moment for the relationship with First Nations in that region than just um, another, you know, here we go to the table and here right. we talk. One open question, and I don't know the answer to this, but it's certainly hanging there, um, Site C. Site C is located in an overlapping region where two First Nations say it's their traditional territory. It's an overlap. These things exist. So one of them is Blueberry. The other one is West Moberly. West Moberly is in court on the same issue over Site C. So Site C, as you know, is well under construction, but there's still a lot of permits to be issued. So it's not clear, really, and David Eby hasn't spoken to this, whether or not this has implications for the dozens of permits that still have to be issued on site C. Interesting. Um, also, we were going to talk about ICBC this morning, too. Yeah, I wanted to get back to you on this. Uh, yesterday, when we talked about how ICBC's finances had turned around, they went from losing about $400 million to, in the, in the year just past, uh, $1.5 billion profit. I thought it was a sign that David Eby's uh, no-fault system for uh, uh, auto insurance uh, was paying off, but I got a nice note from Rick McCandless, who's a retired public servant who whose hobby is keeping track of Crown Corporation finances, and bless him for doing it, because he's kind of a one-man watchdog. He, really he pointed is. out that um, no-fault didn't kick in until this year, so that's not the reason. Uh, his preliminary analysis is that it was the drop in accident rates, some cap on claims for minor injuries, um, because there were fewer people driving, there were fewer accidents and fewer claims, and it appears that ICBC may have overestimated um, um, 
how bad its finances were, or at least in its projections, and underestimated how well it was going to do in some things. And I, as a suspicious person, wonder why ICBC would have done that. I mean, it could just be a series of coincidences, or it might be that they were trying to make things look as bad as possible um, to make the the dumpster fire Hmm. look bigger and brighter than it really was. Because now the turnaround seems even more miraculous. Yeah, I mean, the turnaround is dramatic. And look, uh, uh, there's no question that the liberals left deliberately a mess at ICBC. They knew there were serious financial troubles. They chose not to deal with it before an election because, of course, they expected to win the election and be able to fix it afterwards. So uh, this doesn't lighten that storyline, but it does suggest that maybe the turnaround isn't quite as dramatic as the New Democrats made it out. Uh, McCandless is doing a more detailed analysis. and it, one of the things that the open questions would be, is some of this savings one time from the fact that people stayed off the right. roads uh, in in pandemic year, and so there weren't as many accidents, and whether or not these savings will really be there in the long run. I mean, that's been ICBC's argument for one-time rebates, is they can only be one time because we don't know what the long-term projections for finances are. But then wouldn't the the impact of the no-fault system kick in at that point? Yes, the no-fault system kicked in on April the 1st this year. As you know, it is the subject of, of course, the usual legal battles uh, in court, so I don't know how sustainable it would be, but yes, it uh, it should lead to significant savings in the long run, and some of those savings have already translated into uh, the rebate check right. uh, that uh, some people got um, just uh-huh. from the savings, and, and there were rebates as well. There was a rebate for the year in which people weren't driving as much. Now, again, these are preliminary numbers. We don't have the full... Uh, financial statements from ICBC right. yesterday they weren't released along with the public accounts. They're still to come, so there may be additional shoes to drop on this as well. But thanks to McCandless, I uh, appreciate the clarification on what I told you yesterday. All right. Thank you for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye.